0: Hello everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes with Claire Southworth. This is her podcast, as you know, and moi, Jean-Paul, from the Talking Flutes Extra side. Now, a quick shout out to our sponsors, TJ Flutes, who have been here since we began over five years ago. You can show them some flute love by visiting them at tjflutes.com or on socials at TJ Flutes on Instagram and Trevor James Flutes on Facebook. Right. As you can probably gather, because I've started this podcast, Claire and I are not sat in the room together. Normally, if we're doing a talking flute together, I am down in her beautiful town of Hove. However, there is a reason why I'm not here. Claire. Hello and welcome to your podcast.
1: Thanks, John Paul. Yes. And, and hello to you. Hello to all our listeners. Um, forgive my deep throaty voice. I'm recovering from my first bout of COVID. Gosh. Um, so my lungs are suffering a little bit. So the whole family, whole family had it. I blame my husband. He caught it. <laughs> and then, even though I relegated him to his bedroom, Ellen and I also got it. So it's uh, still in my lungs. I'm absolutely fine. It's a good job you didn't come down today because I don't know what's going on with our weather. It's It's been atrocious this week, hasn't it? Violent winds, torrential rain, it's torrential rain at the moment, and it's so gloomy. It's dark and gloomy. Our clocks have changed, haven't they? So it's dark by about half past three. It's miserable. I think a really good thing is to is to get chatting on talking flutes and for people to listen to us.
0: I would agree, um, yeah. It makes you doesn't make you feel good, does it, this uh, clock change? I think that we should keep it. Like okay. the rest of Europe, we've now stopped yeah. all that yeah. changing. Now, you've asked for this special podcast, Claire, haven't you?
1: Yeah, and it's called Honesty in Music. Gosh. Now, the topic came up because I've been re- reflecting a lot on the words of Atara Bentovin and the impact that she had on so many people. And one aspect of her vibrant and intense personality was that she was disarmingly honest, mm. uh, which was quite scary. And it's given me a lot of food for thought about honesty in music and truthful critique. Now. We could turn this around because um, you can think that being dishonest can be wrong, damaging and and harmful, as as can the truth. It depends on how you vocalise it. And so that's really what I wanted to, to talk about. You know, when we hear performances, are we being honest? Do we feel we can be honest? Sometimes you can go to conventions, let's say, where everyone is wonderful. Now, they're not always wonderful. But how can you be honest without being hurtful or destructive? So that's what I wanted to talk about because Atara was so had such strong views about tell it as it is. But she didn't do it in an abusive way, in an aggressive way. She did it in an honest way. And that's what I wanted us to talk about. What now, do you think?
0: Well, I, th- I think it's going to be really interesting because I have, obviously, obviously, it's me, I have views on honesty in art in general. But there is honesty that is productive honesty and there's honesty for being horrible honesty. So we'll no doubt we'll cover that in a sort of constructive honesty or negative honesty as we go along.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, call it critique. Mm-hmm. Critique isn't necessarily criticism. Yeah. It should encourage discussion, but not shut it down.
0: Agreed. You were privileged enough to speak with Atara. She knew she didn't have long left, probably just a few days before she actually passed away. And I found that podcast, it was really, it gained a lot of traction on online and um, it's had a lot of downloads and a lot of comment back. And you're exactly right. She wasn't negative. She was... She wasn't even frustrated that as a woman in the 60s, 70s, 80s, she wasn't given the time by the establishment, in inverted commas. She was quite sad that that was the case, but she made some very salient points, which has got a lot of people thinking, where do we start? <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> later on, I sort of made a little bullet point list of what to do if you're the performer with getting critique but also I've got a few bullet points from the teacher's point of view about maybe how to give critique. There are certainly appropriate places when critique is necessary and when (laughs) it's not. So if you've got eight-year-old John Smith playing a nursery rhyme after three weeks of learning, that's not the place to be critical. It's a place to encourage. But one of my pet, I was going to say hate, it's not hate, it's my pet worries, if you like is that certainly on social media, when you see very young kids playing some incredibly difficult, very technical bit of writing, they're whizzing through it, but there's not an ounce of musicality, but everyone's saying, this is incredible, it's fantastic, it's the best thing ever. And yet in one sense, yes, it's incredibly uh, skillful, to be able to whiz around an instrument, although as as Tara said, the flute is very easy, be able to whiz around an instrument when you're of a young age. But she kept trying to reiterate that the important thing here is the music. Are you communicating? Are you being truthful to the music? Are you the voice for the composer? And of course, all these youngsters playing, whizzing around on, on the flute, They don't have a sense, you can hear, they have no sense of music. It's a case of play as fast as you can. So in one sense, you could say, how absolutely wonderful to be able to do that. And then with my teacher's hat on, I go, how absolutely appalling. And that I'd rather spend much longer and not have them whiz around and talk about phrasing and and how to construct a phrase which is what Matara was saying in her podcast that she was saying I think a teacher of her granddaughter a Russian teacher teaching her granddaughter I can't was it cello or, or another string I can't quite remember and they spent an enormous amount of time on one movement of of one piece now that's not necessarily right but what was the emphasis was on the music making and it was the music making that was was so important so yeah it's there are appropriate platforms when the critique is necessary and we have to you have to find those places i remember sitting for years on the entrance panels for for conservatory entry i can easily say that the vast majority of candidates had no chance of getting entry into the conservatoire because they had no idea of the level required because many of them had been misled into thinking they had the ability when they absolutely didn't. Now it's tragic, absolutely tragic, but they haven't had the right information. Information is power. we said that before on a podcast, you need the right information. So if you're going to a lesson and your teacher says, good, good, lovely, well done, then that's not good critique. It's too general. So it's no good going into a lesson either where someone goes, oh, that's terrible. I hate that. What are you doing? What's important is that you're specific. I was used to talk about using constructive criticism to build confidence, communicate the music, and control. Those of like, they used to be sort of like the four Cs. In criticism, constructive criticism, it's a case of you need something positive. You can't just take someone apart because you can't leave someone in a state of destruction. You've got to give them something positive. So you could say you prepared this really well and well done on that. There are some areas that we need looking at. It could be the sound. It could be the rhythm. It could be the markings. It could be the style. It could be lots of things. So the critique I said earlier on should encourage the discussion, not shut it down.
0: I would agree 100% with that. If I take uh, just a little step back, and it, as, I, as I normally do, I think it is a case of in art, and I will class music in art, is that a lot of people will look at graffiti, street art, and absolutely hate it and be very open about it disliking it. Hate, is again, is a wrong word in any art form. You look at uh, some contemporary art and you're expected to see within that space that the artist has put down, the creation, and then to understand it via the the narrative of the title and what you're seeing. Again, that is, go to Tate Modern, that would split opinion. You can go to an orchestral concert and hear a rendition of, say, Mahler 5, and be really captured by the emotion of the piece. Or you can just come away just thinking, that just didn't do it. But when we go to musicians, we seem, to to catch on something you said earlier, we're quite loathed to actually be honest, as in whether it moved us or whether it was an artistic genius, in other words, a technical phenomena, or whether it actually moved us within. More so, as you said, when you go to conventions, when everybody's coming out say, saying, whoa, wasn't that wonderful? And if you say, well, it didn't actually do anything for me, that's sort of a, it's classed as a big negative. But yeah. I think we should have a right to, words are very important here, but to say, yes, it was a, it was a wonderful recital or masterclass, but at times it just didn't capture me. It didn't get to me. And it's all to do with the fact that music moves, as you said. But whether we jump into that performance or whether we just sit back and we are just sort of wowing at the technique, and you've you said many, many, many times, technique is one thing, but what really creates music is... the the sound and the emotion that goes within that. So it is very much sort of two-pronged, you know, can I genuinely like a performance but it not move me? And bearing in mind it is only opinion, it's not a fact. So if I don't like something or you don't like something, it's not a fact, nothing is a fact. And I think Atara said that, although Atara was being very factual in that she was, because of who she was and a woman at that time it was factual that she was sort of blocked on many many a turn but yeah discriminated against but when we're just looking at being honest about a musical performance it is not factual whether i like it or not i can just be honest and say it didn't do it for me and i don't want to be castigated for that
1: no um you know i feel that We'll become, you're becoming the good guy and I'm becoming the bad guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, makes, that makes a change. That really makes yeah. a change.
1: We all have a need for compliments, don't we? Oh, yeah. And it's important to have someone that you can trust, who can tell you the truth, even if the truth hurts. And that criticism takes on even more importance when you're in a position of trust. Yeah. Like for me being a professor at the Royal Academy, you have to be very careful how you... Use your constructive criticism so that you are helping build someone's confidence, not knock confidence. So, emphasize that on constructive criticism, building the confidence and control. And it but criticism includes both positive and negative comments.
0: Can I just jump in there, Claire? About positive yeah. and negative comments. I went, Jim Dower, who I'm studying with, sent me to CWIB. And just to have a class, cause I thought I wanted to get, try and get into the academy when I was much younger. And um, Wib, Wib said, you're, you're a lovely flute player, but you're not A, good enough to get into the academy, and B, I would think about another career. Now, when I came out of that, I wasn't deflated because he started with, yes, you're a nice flute player. So that for, in itself, Wib telling me I was a nice flute player. But he was very honest in telling me where I sat in amongst the flute playing world going to music college. So anyway, sorry to butt in there.
1: All these things are terribly important. We've we've learned from our experiences, and we've got a lot of listeners, might not have have worked through any criticism as such. And it's just difficult to take criticism, but I think that musicians shouldn't just perform to please themselves or critics. I think your individual responsibilities to the music and communication the composer's wishes. It's like words straight out of a Tara's mouth. This is what she was constantly talking about. She was never a show-off performer. It was all about the music. She was never a guru. It was music, music, music. That was what was most important to her. Everybody at some stage will get some criticism. You can't change it, but you can change how you react to it. She's what I wanted to bring up today. Learning to work your way through the criticism, accept it with grace. And that's a really good survival skill for all serious musicians. I said, I have a list of points for the the player and the teacher. So you mustn't let criticism sort of define you. When I was much younger, I think I was about 14 or 15, a teacher said to me, oh, you've got a real problem with your top register. And so for years, then I had a problem with my top register. I didn't know what that meant. I just assumed I can't play the top register. It, it defined me. I was the person when people said, you know, what are your weaknesses? I can't play in the top register. So you've got to be very careful about how you say things. If you have a review, whether it's from the Sunday Times Music Critic or it's from the Grimsby News blog, don't let it define you. We need to try and learn from every bit of criticism. problem is that word criticism sounds negative that it doesn't need to be but it needs to be constructive and that's the thing we have to put in front of every bit of criticism we think about the constructive criticism and then you have to realize this is from a player's point of view so you don't let it define you try and learn not all criticism is honest so sometimes the criticism can be for effect for shock horror to stand out so i again i remember from experience being in masterclasses where a particular teacher would just tear someone to shreds just for the, or make fun of the player, for effect to make themselves look better and sound better. That is so wrong because you as the teacher are to do everything you can to become unnecessary. It's not about you, the teacher. It's about the person in front of you. And you have to be so careful about that person in front of you. So not all criticism is honest. If you're the player, never react straight away. You have to wait because we're in, in an emotive profession. You know, when you play, it's like you put all your emotions out there. I used to say to some students, it's like taking all your clothes off and waiting for people to say, oh, look how fat you are. Look how floppy you are. oh. oh. Too short, too tall. You're speaking <laughs> all... about me now, Kurt? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, you know, Music is like that, that you expose yourself. Yeah. And emotions really run high. So you have to wait for a day or two until you calm down. And then you can let that criticism make you stronger. Because mostly criticism makes you weaker. You've got to let the criticism make you stronger. And the next thing is that... To have criticism is much better than being ignored. It's good to get criticism, learn from it, uh, but don't react. And the only way you can avoid criticism is by doing nothing. Yeah. So that's not an answer either. No, it's not. The only way that you can avoid getting criticism is, is by doing nothing, which is not an option. So having worked through all these thoughts, I think the one thing that, that kept coming into my head is that the most important thing any of us can do is to practice self-criticism. So I've always talk about recording yourself where you listen back with a critical ear, not necessarily immediately afterwards, but again, you wait a little bit because I think if you suddenly record, if you record something that you're playing and then you listen back immediately, it's difficult to be objective because it's still in your head. So. Record yourself and then listen the next day. I think critical listening is a skill that should be taught. I remember at our Woldingham Flute School, which we used to do every summer, I introduced sessions where we all listened to different recordings, but without knowing who was playing. And that makes you freer. You know, if, I, if we say, here's a recording of William Bennett playing, you know, Fred Bloch's Sonata, you're not going to say, oh, that's rubbish play. Not that you would say that anyway, but you you it's very difficult to be honest if it's someone on a pedestal. A guru.
0: So, a guru as the would say. A
1: guru. We played a recording, not knowing who who it was, and, and not knowing the piece either, actually. And then we discussed what we heard. We discussed the interpretation, the musicality, the control of of the techniques. And then we had to sort of work out who do we think it who do we think it was? What do we think the piece was? Because when you don't know anything, you have to work harder. Your brain has to work harder. It's a really important skill to develop. So, you know, stick the radio on, on a classical musical station. It doesn't have to be classical music. It could be jazz. It could be pop. But just stick the radio on. And without knowing what it is, try and work out what you're listening to, what you like about it, what you don't like about it. How could you improve it? All those sorts of things. When I was at the academy, we also had a performance class. A different professor would take the class each week and it was all all wind instruments. And there was a list of people that were booked to play each week. So you could be listening to to oboe or flute or bassoon. It it was always different. And after each performance, the professor would take the class, would ask for observations. And after all the comments, then the professor would sum up what they'd said. And I remember in my first class, I did this. Nobody wanted to begin. Everyone was quiet. And then when I tried to push people, all the comments were incredibly positive. And I was shocked at how poor their critique was. Now, I'm not looking for people to, to destroy that person. I wasn't waiting for all negative comments, but I was waiting for a fair observation of what they'd heard and they weren't able to go there. I don't think we should be focusing on just the technical side of the performance. I think we should be focusing on the emotional side and to practice this critique. So starting with self-critique, so you understand the terminology. I remember in, in that cl- particular one of the in those classes that once people got the hang of it, <laughs> they were they started to be a little bit more honest. But it was difficult, especially amongst your peers, because everyone who stands up and plays wants just to hear good things and it's an important lesson for each performer to learn that you actually don't want to hear just the good things you actually to improve you need to hear the not so good things it's no good I said earlier on going to a lesson and just hearing oh good lovely yeah that was nice what should we do for next week it's it's a totally useless so that's sort of my view on that
0: (laughs) honest listening I do it all the time. I'm at that age now where I, I, I don't care. I don't necessarily tell it to the people. I will think and I will just say, yeah, I really didn't like that. Or sometimes I'll hear a musician. I, and I, again, I don't know the name. And you're exactly right. I think we are. We do have a bias as soon as we know who's playing as, oh, I must like this, rather yes. than, gosh, well, that was brilliant. Who was that? Finding out who it was. And our bias is largely driven by, as Atara said, the fact that in the flute world, especially, I, I can't speak for other worlds, you know, we have these gurus, great, wonderful musicians that are put on pedestals. And as Atara said, they're not heart surgeons or they're not brain surgeons. They make music. But yet we treat them as the gurus. And yet, underneath these mass appointed gurus, We have a whole layer of wonderful, wonderful musicians that are making equally beautiful music that don't necessarily have this sort of following unless you heard them blind and then you would say, gosh, who's that? So, yeah, yeah, the honesty is so important with the ability of being able to say, I absolutely adored it. It didn't do it for me. And as you say, the words are so, so important.
1: Yes. You've got to be careful not to be clumsy in how you offer critique. That can be, it can be really damaging. I just had a memory of the wonderful Peter Lloyd and in auditions, he was far more interested in hearing a beautiful tune. Mm -hmm. He always asked for a melody because that showed how someone felt. You, You could feel the emotion through a beautiful melody rather than hearing some incredibly technically spirited piece. Let's go. Let's move into the the teacher thing because I just talked about try not to be clumsy. Mm-hmm. So I think in your criticism, always include positive comments because that recognizes that your student has at least tried. You know, sometimes they don't try. I mean, I'm sure, as teachers, we've all had students who've come along have done no practice whatsoever and don't really deserve anything good to be said. You haven't practiced, okay? But then. I used to turn that around. Okay, you haven't done any practice. Fine. Let's let's play some duets. Let's do some listing. and then so you help sort of develop their skills in a different way. So you need to start with at least one positive comment, and make sure that the that you're not sort of attacking them. <laughs> you're being honest, but not not destructive. And then we talked earlier on about honesty. So if you're not honest it's it's a da- it's dangerous because you give people false hopes false expectations like i said when i do all these entrance exams where there are some people who have no idea about standard and where their standard is it's 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 cruel beyond belief and so you have to educate yourself so if you're listening now in a a small town or village or an area where you can't get to 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 listen to uh, other flute players or listen to class i mean in london you can go to any of the colleges and listen into classes and that gives you an idea you listen to the flute players in the first year and think how do i compare and you're being using your critical skills to listen and digest and work. then help your in your own playing being honest and then again something i touched on earlier be specific so we can all say that was good or that was okay or it was nice but those are totally non-specific even if you find it very difficult to find something positive to say you can say you know well done this was much better than last time But I think you could do a little bit better. And let's talk about how you're working at that. And certainly when you've got younger or less experienced students, you've got to be very careful how you lead them into criticism. Because certainly with very young students, generally speaking, they just have great fun. They just love what they're doing and they haven't really got any idea about doing something that's not good or good. They just have a great time. So we have to be very, very careful about how we build on their confidence without false expectations.
0: I totally get where you're coming from. From my perspective, if I'm listening to a performance that I don't necessarily gel with, I don't proffer my comment. I don't sort of say, well, actually, I didn't like that. Unless somebody asks me and then I will either temper my comments or just say, be quite sort of bland and say it didn't move me or technically really, really impressive, but not really my stuff. I'm not nasty in my honesty. I'm not trying to be horrible or destructive because that person's been on stage and done their best. But I believe I should be allowed to be honest if I'm asked for my feedback. Let's go back a bit. When you were told your top octave wasn't very good, if they'd said to you, at the moment, your top octave isn't very good, but if you worked on this and you worked on this and this is what I can hear, then you wouldn't have gone away, would you, with that negative mm. feeling about your playing?
1: I remember years later, someone came up to me and said, I remember that that class where you were told that your, your top register was rubbish. And I didn't understand it. You know, I, I've always thought your top register was, was one of your strengths. That helped me enormously because... I realised then that not all comments are objective.
0: Yeah. So would you say, Claire, that objectivity is only through the eyes of the person listening? With music, if you're playing Bach or Mozart, you know, he's they're not sat there saying, or the people around in the court of that time are not there saying, well, actually, Wolfgang wouldn't have played it like this. Or no, Wolfgang didn't like how you sort of enunciated that note. Are we getting into this habit of just being, just
1: throwing our opinions generally around? Without thinking about the consequences. Yes. Absolutely. There was one, I also, of course, did all the diploma recitals, the judging panel, and we always had an external player to judge them. So you'd have a professor in the department, the head of department, and the external examiner, who's always someone of of note. The one person that was always incredibly impressive was Ken Smith. Now, Ken Smith, he's not a guru. He was Principal Flute of the Philharmonia Orchestra and before that Principal Flute of the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra. An incredible player, fantastic orchestral player. One of the absolute best. I I sat next to him for a long, long time. Wonderful, wonderful player. Very unassuming, very humble, much in the same way as as Atara. And I remember on some of these panels, we'd we'd hear a recital, and of course, if someone's playing, like you're saying, someone playing Bach or Mozart, there are a lot of very strong views about how these pieces should be played, and of course, other pieces as well. And sometimes, some people who are judging, they enforce that on to the person who's playing. It's, it's a very difficult line here because you want to teach. If you're a teacher, you want to teach someone to, to interpret and to develop their interpretation skills and their sense of style without dictating. Really, people need to go and listen. But anyway, back to Ken Smith. So he sometimes would, uh, when we you discuss, always the external examiner would always speak first. And so many times he would say, the style they used in that particular piece of Fred Blocks is not a style that I would play in, but I really appreciate how well they did X, Y, Z. He was able to accept a different way of playing and congratulate them on their performance without saying, I don't agree with that. So that's, that's not that's not how you should play Bach or, or Mozart or whatever. So he was very generous, but very honest. And that was, it was a really good learning time for me to be able to accept different ways of playing and to acknowledge that. But it doesn't mean that you would play like that.
0: Do you think the threat or the perceived threat of criticism stops or prevents musicians from challenging themselves oh, musically?
1: What a question? That's a wonderful question, John Paul. Yes, is the simple answer. <laughs> I think a, a lot of players are really worried. I mean, I felt that I couldn't really play baroque music for years because in the 80s and 90s, mainly in the 90s, There was so much authentic instrument orchestras. And I felt, I can't go and play a Bach sonata with piano because I'm going to be slated. I really felt that. You shouldn't be worried about playing a piece in any particular way. I remember a few years ago, I heard, oh, who was it? I can't remember. Somebody that I held in great esteem. And they were playing, I know it was a Baroque piece. It might've been Unaccompanied Bach. I think it was Unaccompanied Bach. And I listened to it and thought, that is the most glorious piece of playing I think I've ever heard. And yet it was quite romantic. It wasn't absolutely truthful to the style. And I thought, well, that's all that matters. It's something that they communicated to me, something wonderful, and yet didn't stick to all the so-called rules. And I think that's something we can we can all take. I mean, OK, you don't want to play. When I said earlier on that every performer, you mustn't perform just to please yourself and play a Bach sonata in the most overly romantic, excessive way. We haven't even talked about moving yet, John. Um <laughs> So there's got to be parameters, of course, but it shouldn't let you stop communicating music. And that's really what I'm trying to say.
0: When you read a book, Claire, how far will you get into that book before you just think,
1: nah, it's not doing it for me? This has happened to me relatively recently. I remember working through a book that had got great reviews, a most fantastic writer. I made myself read it. This was during COVID, actually, when we were all reading a lot more. And I got three quarters of the way through and suddenly thought, I'm not not enjoying this at all. It was just too sort of intense, what I used to call thick writing. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to have to read a sentence and spend five minutes working out what it meant. And I suddenly remember I shut the book and said, right, that's it. I'm not going to finish.
0: Now, your daughter is a voracious reader. I mean, she's in the publishing world, so she has to read lots of books. How far into a script, does when she starts reading, do you think she knows, actually probably Eleanor knows probably within the first paragraph whether this is going to capture her?
1: I think she does, but she, she'll always read and finish a book. Really? She reads thousand spots yes 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 absolutely an absolute passion of hers I think it's the same as us listening to a piece of music you're not going to stop halfway for us we wouldn't stop if you're listening to a piece of flute music um, you might think it's not quite doing it for me but I wouldn't turn off halfway through I would always listen to the to the end
0: <laughs> that's why you're different to me because I would turn off I don't normally listen to flute music. If I'm being totally honest, anyway, I love listening to other. I love listening to singers. I love listening to cellist and uh, violin players. Mm-hmm. Something where you can actually feel that genuine emotion. And of course, I don't know many of the names of the players anyway. So I am purely listening for the musicality. And obviously, if you listen to the flute player, if I can, if Sir James is on, if Jimmy's on, I know it's him and if web's on i can hear wib in there yeah. i i have a bias this natural bias but if i'm sat in a concert i will try desperately to engage with the sound i will try and just focus on that flute sound and try and understand the narrative i will try and i'll try and listen to the various tonal we, colors that they're making but right. I, I i will very different to you obviously you've been brought up in this world where not only we are you a soloist, you are an orchestral player, played with some of the finest orchestras in the world, and you've taught at one of the most prestigious academies in the world. So your critique is built around the need to for growth for that individual in front of you, whether they be on a stage or whether they be sat next to you in the audience or one of your students, to grow. And so the audience to grow through the interpretation of what you've put out for me, who's was a run-of-the-mill flute player, flautist, flutist, fluterer, whatever you want to call it. The honesty for me only comes with whether it does it or not. And it's interesting how just talking to you on this, we're coming from slightly different angles. Your, you know, Your critique is built around the flowering of the individual. Mm. And my critique, only if somebody asks me, is just an, an inner view, not fact. Whereas you are coming from, okay, you're not doing it here, but factually, this is what you can do to improve it. Honesty sort of comes in many, many different facets, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. So we ought to sort of maybe sum up what we've been talking about. We now know that critique is an important element of development. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about being learning how to accept it and to build from it. And I think if anyone's saying to you something that's very unhelpful, to try and question that. If your teacher just is saying, good, you could say, that's, that's wonderful, I'm really happy, but how do I improve? You know, there must be areas, no one's perfect, we're not look, looking for perfection. So this self-criticism is really important. How can I improve on it? The same thing. If someone says that was really poor, okay, I've really worked hard at this, and and I'm I'm really disappointed that you think it's so poor. Which specific areas? You know, I've practiced a lot. You need to sort of question. There's a two way communication in lessons. When I was growing up, learning, you never spoke. <laughs> no the teacher speak to you. These days, your teacher is the most important gateway for your success. You've got to make your teacher work and and question and ask how what you can do to improve. So you're trying to learn from every bit of criticism. We said don't let it define you. Let it make you stronger. Be your own best critique. Record yourself and learn how to vocalise what it is you're hearing. It's hard at the start because you don't know what you're listening to. But maybe try then and use some comparison without being... Knocked back by comparison. So, you know, if you are an absolute devotee of Sir James Galway, you couldn't listen to anyone better. Play his recordings and be try and use some constructive observations. So you're saying, what is it that really appeals? Is it dexterity? Is it the sound? Is it the musicality? Is it the vibrato? Is it a combination of all those things? And then listen to somebody else but you can find loads online, of course. And same thing. Do I like it? Why do I like it? Again, look through all the things. Are they communicating the music to me? Is it that in the right style? Do they use different techniques like dynamics, tone colours, different tempi? And are they controlling all of those things? And then, you know, you gradually work through a list. You will develop your own critical skills. And I think that's a really good place for us to leave it, John Paul.
0: I will just surmise my side is to use two brilliant words there. We should replace the word criticism with observation. Mm -hmm. Because observation is a much, it's a gentler word, isn't it? It begins with a vowel. Observation. So an honest observation rather than an honest criticism, it, it will come at two different, it will hit you in two different ways. An honest observation is just what you're observing when you're watching or when you're listening. But honest criticism, by its own nature, will probably pierce sort of deeper in one's musical psyche than anything else. For me, that being honest is only a personal observation and and it's not fact. And if it's done from a teacher's point of view, then it is only based around making you a better musician, a better performer. And to encapsulate how you started the whole thing, ultimately you're not playing music for you, you're playing music according to what was written by the composer, what was intended, and for the audience.
1: Absolutely. And I think I'll put on our Talking Flutes Facebook page, I'm going to put the link to this wonderful excerpt of, of a Tara Plane that's been going around recently. And it's all about music and emotion, and it's absolutely glorious. so I'll try and um, find it and put it on the Facebook page.
0: And what really struck me about your interview with, with Atara in her last days is she was this whirlwind of an individual, but had such a soft and gentle inner that was in it was, would be innate that she could she could convey that to an audience through simplicity of sound and the depth of everything she did. And yet if you met her, you'd think that she would be a really technical, loud sort of musician because that's how she portrayed, that's how she was naturally. And it was just so interesting just to hear her, just reiterate the honest things that she's been saying for many, many years and which very few people have listened to.
1: Yeah. Well... Are Thanks, we, John Paul. Are we done? I think so. I hope that sort of got people thinking. Please write in flutepodcasts at gmail.com or post on our Facebook page or Twitter and Instagram at flute or at Claire Flute.
0: And thank you all for listening this week. Thank you once again to Claire for joining us on her own podcast, even though she's suffering the after effects of COVID. And look forward to speaking to you all again soon.